please stand for the reading of God's word. We're reading from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in everything with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Let us pray. Father God, what an honor it is to be in your house to worship. And God, we've already experienced worship as we have sung about your love and how you have just reached out to us and searched for us. God, may we be a people that are devoted to prayer, that are looking and searching for souls that need to be won by you. God, I pray that you would just open our eyes and our ears today to hear what David has to speak to us about. God, I pray that we would be those disciples searching to make disciples. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, when the uh, chalkboard comes out, and it's going to be good, it's not quite as effective for the four people that listen to our podcast every week, but mom, trust me, it looked good if you would have been here. Um, Over the last few weeks, we have been walking through a sermon series titled How Disciples Are Made. The idea being we, we want to, to give some, some foundational building blocks, some tools to equip each other to carry out the Great Commission, which is exactly where we started this sermon series, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. That commission on the lives of everyone that is a self-professed follower of Christ that commission to be a disciple that makes disciples, making disciples of all nations, right? As we started there, we then started to unpack the definition of that word disciple, kind of cut through some of the confusion, cut through some of the stigma that might be attached to that. We, we went from there and we spent a couple of weeks talking about what it looked like to see the world through the eyes of Christ, to truly be heartbroken for those around us, heartbroken to the point that we can't help but take action, heartbroken for the lost and the searching and the suffering and the marginalized. Last week, We talked about how our lives themselves, our actions, are the fruit of our identity in Christ. The fruit of our identity as children of God. We looked at 1 Peter and saw that that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And as such, our actions grow out of that as opposed to the other way around, as opposed to our actions creating our identity. It's our identity that results in our actions. After all of that, I still hear day after day, all right, Hannah, that's, that's all well and good, and I think I'm starting to figure this out, and yes, I get the Great Commission, and I know what a disciple is, and, and my heart's beginning to break for the people around me, but, but how do I do that? 
what does it look like? You know, I've got this guy in the office next to me at work and, and the way he looks and the way he acts and his viewpoints and his lifestyle are so different from mine. And then I've got my neighbor and the way she looks and the way she acts and her viewpoints and her lifestyle are so different from mine. And my coworker and my neighbor, they are so different from each other. Just, just tell me what to say. Like, just, is there not just a phrase that I can just say and then they'll know? Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is, no, there is not just a phrase. There's not a few words, one response. There's no silver bullet. If there were, I would have told you a long time ago, say this sentence and then everyone around you will run to Jesus. It does not work that way. The good news is Paul knew that. Paul recognized that. Paul lived that. He understood there's no silver bullet. There's no one way to do it. In, in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, Paul talks about how, how he regularly adjusts his approach and his language based on the context in which he is ministering. It says in the ninth chapter, starting in verse 19, Paul recognizes that that I am free in Christ, not a slave to anyone, but I make myself a slave to everyone. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. To those without the law, I become like one without the law. To the weak, I become weak. And then in verse 23, he gives us the reason he does all of these things. Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in my blessings. Paul just desperately wanted people to know the Jesus that he knew. He was willing to be a slave to those around them, around him so that they would know the blessings that he knew. We already sang this morning. You know, there, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Why would we not be desperate for those that we love to know that love? Paul was. He, he again writes about this idea in his letter to the church at Colossians. In this passage that Gina read for us this morning, he begins to unpack what it looks like to share the gospel with people from all different walks of life, with all different viewpoints, coming from completely different cultures and contexts. See, Colossae, this this, this city, it's interesting because it had been a very powerful city. 
But by the time Paul was around, it had long since been bypassed by the cities on either side of it. Those cities had grown up, and as a matter of fact, they had kind of created a partnership and a treaty, built a road that bypassed Colossae. So, so suddenly, their, their culture, their way of life, their city itself was kind of being marginalized, outcast. The influence that they used to have was now gone. There was a small and growing church there, a young church, but it was being attacked from all sides. It was being attacked by by the changing culture, people from more influential and powerful cities around them that were coming in. Various contexts, heresy from within the church. There were many teachers there that were beginning to preach just the opposite of what we talked about last week. They were beginning to preach, it's the things you do that make you who you are. You have to do this, you cannot do that. Paul, in prison was moved by this church to the point that he wrote them this letter of encouragement that we have in the New Testament called Colossians. And as he writes this letter, he starts with the supremacy of Christ. If nothing else, I want you to know this. I want you to know about the supremacy of Christ. Do not listen to all of these other teachers. Do not listen to these people that are telling you it's it's Christ and or it's Christ, or. Paul starts by, by making sure the Colossians understood it's Christ, period. He then goes on to, to, to warn them to kind of guard their hearts against a lot of these false teachings. He teaches about uh, holy living, comparing your, your new self in Christ to your old self before Christ. And then after all that, Right before his kind of final greetings, you know, the say hello to your mom and him section of Colossians, Paul leaves them with these verses, this advice, practical advice about things they should be doing so that they are able to share the gospel with those around them from different contexts, from different cultures, from different ideas, from different viewpoints. Looking back at Colossians chapter 4, it all leads to verse 6, where Paul says, this is all so that you may know how you should answer each person. Because Paul recognized There's not just one way to answer because there's not just one question. There is only one answer. That answer is Christ. He starts the whole letter with that. But he recognizes the question that we all ask so often. How can I answer all of these different people in my life so that you may know there's a W over there (laughs) how to answer each person now I'm glad my mom can't see this they want to know 
And Paul's going to tell him. And what Paul does is, in general, he breaks down this idea so that you may know how to answer each person into two categories. And those categories are talk to God about people. And talk to people about God. It seems so simple, and yet we can't quite apply it to our lives. These two simple ideas, just talk to God about people, talk to people about God. Look back with me. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, and we'll see the foundational idea of all of this. So that we may know how to answer each person starts with one simple idea. Devote yourselves to prayer. It's so basic. I'm going I'm to change, change colors. By the way, I, I, Ruby Love, I stole your sidewalk chalk. Thank you. Devote to prayer. It is the most basic, simple idea in the Christian life. A devotion to prayer, this idea of of dedicating ourselves to prayer. Devotion, persistence, loyalty. Being attached to something. It's so simple, yet so many of us struggle with it desperately. Let me start by saying, God is not afraid of your struggle to pray. He recognizes it. He understands it. He's God. He will walk with you in it. The 12 disciples, those men that walked with Jesus Christ every single day for three years during his ministry, they specifically asked for help with one thing. Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, 1. We don't have a verse that says, Lord, teach us to preach a sermon. Lord, teach us to plant a church. Lord, teach us to heal the sick. Lord, teach us to form a committee. It doesn't say that in the scriptures anywhere. Lord, teach us to pray. Because they had seen Jesus pray. And they recognized what happened each time he prayed. They recognized him being completely filled, refreshed, renewed. The things that would happen, the power that would come forth from those prayers. And they understood if we are to continue in his ministry, if we don't know anything else, we need to know how to pray. You know, it's, it's, it's in the act of prayer 
that we learn about ourselves, that we learn about God, that the intimacy, proximity between us and the Father grows and matures. Yet so often in our spiritual lives, we, we end up having this kind of false sense of proximity. We live a, a vicarious faith, trading on our friends' prayer lives or other people's stories. Things that happen to my wife or my Sunday school teacher or that missionary that I heard about. You know, we... We read Christian books and we listen to Way FM and we go to conferences and all of those things are great. But what happens is we start to think, well, I, I must be close to the Father because I'm doing all the Christian stuff. When in the middle of it, at some point, God just kind of blows the whistle and says, hey, can, can we just hang out? Like, at what point are we going to eliminate the middleman and spend some time together? Devote yourselves to prayer. If you're here this morning and you're longing for a deepening of your relationship, with your father, if you are longing to hear his voice, pray. Devote yourselves to it with a passion, with a persistence. Now, as Paul continues to talk to the Colossians about what it looks like, to be prepared to answer the questions of each and every person. He says, devote yourself to prayer. And in that prayer, be alert. How much of our prayer time do we spend saying things we feel like God wants to hear? In just the right way. You know, we kind of throw the thesaurus up in the sky and we think it's going to impress him. And, and we say all these things that we've heard other people say in their prayers. Or we spend time listing off all the things God needs to be doing for us. Really struggling right now, God. Don't know if you've noticed. But if you could just kind of knock out this to-do list, everything's going to be great. And yet, we pray in that manner with no expectation that anything's actually going to happen. In no way are we alert in our prayers to what God is saying to us. Paul tells the Colossians, Paul tells us, devote yourselves to prayer. And in that prayer, be alert, be expectant that God is actually going to answer. Be alert to what God is going to be saying to you. He goes on to say, and be thankful. 
Be thankful that you are able to pray. Remember last week, we are a royal priesthood. And what we know about the royal priests is they're, they're the ones that had the direct line to God. In your prayer, be alert, be expectant, be grateful that you even possess the ability to communicate with the one true God, the creator of the universe. That's kind of a big deal. Devote yourselves to prayer and in that prayer be alert to what God is saying to you. And what does Paul ask the Colossians to pray for? Open doors. I want you to think about Paul writing this letter in chains. Two years, this particular stint in prison, falsely accused. The guy that was holding him even admitted he was falsely accused, but still held him for two years because he was waiting for somebody to come and give him a bribe to let Paul out. What does Paul not say to the Colossians? Be devoted to prayer. Be alert. Make sure God understands that I am falsely accused and in chains. Because somebody needs to get me out of here, right? This is ridiculous. I don't deserve this. No. Paul says... Devote yourselves to prayer, be alert, be grateful, and ask God to open doors here so that I may be able to share the gospel. Paul used those two years in chains to glorify God. He wrote countless letters, four of which we have in our New Testament. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. All were written while he was there in chains. And what we learn in Philippians is while he was there, every single imperial guard heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul asked for opportunities. And Paul was given opportunities. You know, I heard somebody say this week, How we, as followers of Christ, spend way more time praying people out of heaven than praying people into heaven. You want to talk about devotion to prayer. When a 103-year-old great-grandmother that has known Jesus Christ for 85 years is sick in the hospital, we will be desperate on our knees that she is saved, that, that God heal her from her ailment. I am not saying don't do that. If that's the way God is moving your spirit, be devoted to that prayer as well. But why is it we are so much more devoted to that prayer 
than we are our 22-year-old neighbor that has never met a living Savior. Pray with devotion, alert and grateful, and pray that God give you the opportunities to share his love with those in your life. If we are to be disciple makers, disciples that make disciples, it starts with this, talking to God about people. How can we know who he has placed in our life? In whose lives he has placed us if we're not asking? Paul goes on in verse 5 to begin to tell the Colossians what it looks like to then talk to people about God. Foundationally, we're going to talk to God about them. We're going to pray for them by name. We're going to ask that God opens doors for us to share the gospel. And when we do that, we're then going to be prepared to actually share the gospel, right? Verse 5. Where does he start? Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Now, many versions will translate that as walk with wisdom. Wisdom is one of those words we use a lot, but we tend to get confused about. You know, wisdom and knowledge we almost use interchangeably. The lines get blurred. I always keep them straight by remembering what my grandfather used to tell me, which is knowledge is recognizing that a tomato is technically a fruit. Wisdom is understanding that you should not put it in a fruit salad. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge that you have through experience and good judgment. We're really good at the first part, knowledge. We're really terrible at the second two. At experience and good judgment. If we are to walk in wisdom... The only way to do that is through authentic experience with a living Savior. We can have all the knowledge in the world. We can read a thousand books. We can go to conferences. We can, we can hear learned, brilliant speakers. <clears throat> all of that is great. Without experience, we cannot walk in wisdom in the relationships that we have in our lives. We have very little to offer those in our lives beyond a few sentences we read in a book one time. Now, now why does Paul want us to walk with wisdom in our relationships? so that we might make the most of the time. Notice that doesn't say make the most of time. 
It's the time. The original Greek is kairos. Those of you that have been to the Tuesday night worship service at our sister church down in Brentwood, that worship service known as kairos, probably know what that word means. Kairos is a specific moment in time. As opposed to like the seasons or the time of day, the general passage of time. It is the time. It is a specific moment because we know that this moment, like every moment, is given to us for a purpose. We are here in this place this morning for a reason. Each and every moment in your life is given to you for a purpose. And it is through wisdom, the application of knowledge along with the experience with the living Savior, with Jesus Christ, that allows us to understand the purpose of these moments. Paul knew exactly what his time in prison was for. He didn't whine He didn't complain about the inconvenience of being in jail. He recognized this moment has been given to me for a purpose. And he used that purpose. As we are devoted to prayer, we should be asking God, give me the wisdom to understand what this moment is for. My experiences, my ups, my downs, my struggles... The times I have persevered through suffering in this life allow those moments to give me the wisdom to walk more moments with those you have blessed me with in my life. Finally, in verse 6, Paul tells the Colossians, let your speech always be Gracious. Speak with grace. It is a dying characteristic in modern America. We are so desperate to be right, we no longer care about being kind. We have lost sight of the fact that those that have a different viewpoint than us, a different background than us, are loved and valued, created in the image of God. We lose sight of the fact that our fellow human, full of love and conflict and conviction and value and worth, should be treated as such. I heard Matt Chandler say recently that to be right wrongly is to be wrong. And I believe that. You see, when we speak to those around us and our words do not reflect the grace and love with which we have been bought, 
Not only do they not listen, they run from us. And therefore, they run from the love of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us to speak with grace. And then he goes on to say, and let your words be seasoned with salt. What an interesting picture. Let your words be seasoned with salt. You see, the the chefs in the room know that salt, as a seasoning, when properly applied, doesn't make things taste salty. It makes things taste more like themselves. The proper amount of salt on a beautiful steak is going to bring out the savory, amazing flavor of that meat. Salt is used in making chocolate. And it doesn't make the chocolate taste salty. It, it makes the chocolate taste more like chocolate. It makes the chocolate taste more sweet. As we speak graciously, our words reflecting the love and grace of Jesus Christ, those words must be seasoned with the truth of the gospel. And it's that truth that makes our gracious words more graceful. Better to reflect the grace of Jesus Christ. Talking to people about God is as simple as walking in wisdom and speaking with words full of grace and seasoned with the truth. And it is all founded on first talking to God about people. As we close our time together this morning, I would love to take a few moments to pray. You know... You don't look or think or talk like anyone else in this room. So don't try to pray like anyone else in this room. Allow your words to reflect who you are. That's what God wants to hear. Pray with simplicity. When those disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, Jesus said that exact same thing. Jesus himself in Matthew 6 said, pray with simplicity. As we take a few moments to pray, I want a verse to be on the board. It's Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And this morning, I actually want to read it in the message because Eugene Peterson captures the nuance of what Christ was telling his disciples in such a powerful way. It reads in the message, Matthew 6, and when you come before God, Don't turn that into a theatrical production. 
All these people making a regular show of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Focus, the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice. Peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. This is not going to be a theatrical production. For the next few moments, I want you to find a quiet place. Maybe it's right where you're sitting. Maybe... It's up here in front. I want you to put yourself in the posture of focusing on your Father. Now take a moment just to clear your mind of all distractions. Deal with any business that you have with God that's, that's creating a barrier in your spirit that may be preventing you from spending time with him. Now thank God for what he has done for you by allowing his son Jesus to die for you. Allow God to place a name, a specific name on your heart, and it might even be your own. And take that person by name to God. Ask specifically that he open doors so that this person may hear and understand the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Ask that he grant you wisdom. Ask that he remind you of the humanity of this person, that they are his creation, that they are his child made in his image. And ask that your words may be filled with both grace and truth.
And finally, thank God for that overwhelming, never-ending love with which he loves you so that out of that love, you may love others. Father God, we are grateful, humbled, and amazed by your presence with us in this place, by your presence with us in our lives. We beg you to open doors so that we might share with others our experiences. with the love and the grace of your Son. Grant us wisdom, grace, and mercy. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.